0: As I start this morning, have you ever felt like life was filled with too much? What I mean by that is too much to do, too much to remember, too much to know. If you think about it, the amount of activity and information swirling around us can just leave our heads spinning. Every day you are bombarded with an incredible number of choices that you have to make, a ridiculous number of different decisions. Uh, Here's an example of what I mean. Let me ask you. um, Raise your hand if you are responsible for purchasing groceries for your household. If you're the one who primarily does that, okay, good number of hands there, hands down now. Uh, Now, raise your hand if you are not the primary person responsible for grocery shopping, but you've been sent to the store before to pick up a few items. All right, I fall into this category and I have to say, Definitely too many choices at the grocery store. For example, if Andrea asks me to pick up lettuce, lettuce, right? Sounds easy until you come face to face with this right here. (laughs) Why are there so many choices for lettuce? I mean, it's just lettuce. Then I went over to the cereal aisle. Do you have any idea how many different kinds of Cheerios there are? 18 different kinds of Cheerios. What possible need do we have for 18 different options of Cheerios? I'm not a Cheerios fan, but to those of you who are, how many different flavors of cardboard do you need for breakfast? That's what I've got to ask you. And don't even get me started on a trip down the toothpaste aisle. I don't, I don't know whether it's more important to get toothpaste that fights plaque and gingivitis or, or to whiten my teeth. I went with the white teeth. Uh, Did you know that in 1990, a little over 30 years ago, in 1990, the average grocery store had around 7,000 to 9,000 items. Today, the average grocery store has over 43,000 items for you to choose from. Too many choices. And whether it's the grocery store or somewhere else, the enormous number of choices we have can be a little bit overwhelming. Everything is at our fingertips today. And this is not just limited to Cheerios or toothpaste. It applies to ideologies and perspectives. Everyone has access to a smorgasbord of worldviews and religious beliefs. All a person has to do is Google a certain religion, and within a second, you can learn all you've ever wanted to know about their belief system. How do you pick the right one? Over the past several weeks, we've been joining together with hundreds of other Bay Area churches in in a series called Explore God. And During this series, we're digging into some big questions that many people have about God and they have about faith. Uh, I'll just remind you as we're in this series, our goal today is not to convince anyone of anything, but it's to invite all of us to explore these questions together. And today's question is one that many people in our modern world wonder, is Christianity too narrow? Now, I'll tell you, I don't actually think that having lots of choices when it comes to the grocery store is a problem. All those choices are good, and they can be nice. And you've heard that the phrase, variety is a spice of life, right? But, but what do you do with the same amount of choices when it comes to religion? What do you do when you live in a culture, especially here in the Bay Area, a pluralistic culture that has so many religions, well, one thing we've noticed has happened in our culture is a call for more tolerance. Uh, many of you have probably seen this bumper sticker before, right? Maybe you saw it in our parking lot here. Uh, this coexist graphic uh, to many people. What it means is, let's all just get along. Whatever works for you works for you. Whatever works for me works for me. Just be nice and kind to each other, and everything will be all right. And to, and to most reasonable people, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, Legendary songwriter John Lennon sang about that concept all the way back in 1971 when he sang, Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. As human beings, all of us should do our best to not be divisive, to not oppress, to not be hurtful, to live peaceably with other people. Can we all agree that's a good goal? Hope so. No doubt our world would be better if we could all get that idea right. And yet, does that mean that every belief system and every religion is equally valid? Like, what if there are real differences among these religions that have actual, real consequences in your life? Both life in the here and now, and life in the forever. Let me ask you this, is choosing a religion like picking a box of Cheerios? Or or, or would you agree that there's something much more important that's at stake in our lives? Now I know as we've been in this Explore God series, and I I know this is crosswinds, which means there are a number of you here who are just trying to check out Christianity, and and you might come in today kind of supporting that, whatever works for you, works for you idea. After all, just a Pew Research Institute study found even 52% of American Christians think at least some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. 52%. That's the majority of American Christians who believe that. Uh, Also, I know there are those of you here today who follow a different religion, something other than Christianity, and I want to acknowledge there are some really wonderful things we can all learn from other religions and other belief systems. We we shortchange ourselves if we write somebody off just because we don't think or or practice the, the same ways. Can we all agree to that? However... There are significant differences between religions that we just can't ignore. For example, let's take a second and look at what different religions teach about how to find your way back to God and the path to eternal life. Um, Orthodox Judaism says that a person has to obey 613 different commands in order to please God. Obedience to the law is the path to heaven. Islam has five pillars. Five might sound better than 613, but the five pillars are still about how you work your way to heaven. Islam means submission. The the idea is you submit to the will of God. Buddhism is all about the ultimate goal of achieving nirvana, and one gets there by working toward the elimination of any desire that you might have. Hinduism says that that one works their way to heaven by becoming one with Brahma, the all-prevailing force of the universe, and you achieve that by living a moral life. Again, working your way there. In fact, a person lives their life over and over again until they get this right. Very different paths, very different teachings. And in fact, just as you look at those, I want you to see, there are two major observations we can make based on that information. First one, Observation number one, each of these religions provides their own unique path. Each of these religions has a belief system about eternal life and how to achieve it. And what that means is, every religion is narrow, so to speak. Every religion has guidelines and restrictions and very specific directions about what it is for that religion that makes it different than another. Is Christianity narrow is a great question. I just hope we're asking that about every religion because they all have their way. Um, Let me give you an analogy that that may work, this may not. I was talking about something similar to this with Matt, uh, Matt Van Gann, our executive pastor, a couple weeks ago. Um, If we were playing a game of soccer, all of us, and somebody came on the soccer field and said, can I play? And we said, yeah, sure, why not? You know how to play? And they said to us, yes, the idea is to get the ball in the other team's net. And and so they start playing. But five minutes in, the person picks up the ball and they throw it into the net. You would say, oh, you can't do that. That's hands. You're not allowed to use your hands. If the person said narrow, soccer is too narrow, you would say, no, it's not. That's soccer. What makes it soccer is you can't use your hands. If they went went to their car after that and they got a hockey stick and they came back and they said, okay, I'm not gonna use my hands. I've got this stick and I'm gonna use it to get the ball into the goal. You would say, you can't do that either. That's hockey. You're trying to play a different game. And if they said, narrow, soccer is so narrow. Well, not unlike soccer and hockey and basketball, every religion has their beliefs and their guidelines and their restrictions, and what makes a religion that religion as opposed to another one is its narrowness. I just say it to say maybe narrow is not the problem, okay? Second observation, when we put those four up, observation number two, each of these religions has something in common, each teaches it's all up to you in your own efforts. Each of those four teach that eternal life is about you and what you do. It might be about your obedience or submission. It might be about eliminating desire. It It might be about attempting a moral life. Your ability or your failure to hit the target determines your destiny. And in fact, we could say that the one thing those religions have in common is doing. If you measure up, you meet the requirements. If you do enough, you're in. Um, It's sort of like buying airline tickets. If you are willing to pay more, do more, you can have a better experience. I have flown first class one time in my life. This was a little over 20 years ago, and Andrea and I were going to Spain. Uh, she was pregnant. This is right before uh, we had our, our oldest daughter, and we had been invited on a trip to Spain where we were gonna not have to pay for, for the resort we were staying at. We just had to get there and buy our own food. But again, Andrea was pregnant, and I thought, wow, that is a lot of flying and coach for a pregnant woman. Um, we had to fly from Detroit to Miami, and then Miami to Madrid, and then Madrid to Malaga, and and I had just enough credit card miles saved up for one first class ticket. Who should take it, my pregnant wife or me? Of course Andrea, of course Andrea. But I convinced my dad to let me borrow some of his miles so that I got myself a first class ticket and could sit with her. And it was amazing to live this life that I had never lived before (laughs) and have never lived since as a pastor. No long lines. Incredible service, better food, champagne, you guys. They give you champagne in first class. Airport lounges we suddenly had access to. Although, when we got to Miami, um, we tried to get into this airport lounge uh, that our tickets should have let us into, and we got there and suddenly a bunch of men in like three-piece suits jumped up, a few of them with guns, to keep us from going further into the lounge. We couldn't figure it out uh, when we boarded the plane. It's one of those planes that had a second story and there were only eight seats in the entire second story, seats that fully reclined into beds. And we noticed those men in the suits with the weapons were in five of those seats. A young woman was in the sixth seat, and Andrea and I were the only other two in the seventh and eighth seat. And we thought it was kind of odd, but then we thought, whatever, Spain. Am I right? Spain. And uh, it was about halfway through our flight that one of the attendants came over and whispered to us, that's the princess. And we said, what? And she said, that's the princess, the princess of Spain. I didn't even know they had a princess in Spain. And Andrea and I spent the night in an airplane cabin with the princess of Spain and her five bodyguards. And we did it because we could pay for it. Although we couldn't pay for it. We used miles and we used somebody else's miles. But point is, in first class, the way you get the perks is by paying more than everyone else, right? The same is true of that doing approach to life and faith. It's all about how hard you work, what you pay, how much you do, and if you do enough, you will get a good seat in eternity. It puts everything on me. I do, I get. I work, then I am accepted. And this is why the message that Jesus came to bring was so incredibly different in his day and it is today still. Now, I I know there are lots of different perspectives on what Christianity is and what it isn't. Lots of perspectives on what it teaches. Sometimes when we turn on the TV and we hear somebody speaking on behalf of Christians, we cringe more than we clap. So today I want to make sure you know what I'm talking about when I talk about Christianity. Jesus stands at the center of Christianity. Everything in the Christian religion hinges on what Jesus said, his claims, and what he has done, his actions. That's why around here we talk about Christ followers or Jesus followers. Sometimes I use those terms more than I use Christian. A Christ follower is somebody who follows Jesus, puts their faith in what Jesus said and what Jesus does. So what did Jesus say? Okay, Jesus claimed to be the only way to eternal life with God. In John 14, six, he said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claims to be the way, not a way, the way. He claims to be the exclusive connection between a sinner like me and God the Father. Jesus says, follow me, I am the way. And then what did Jesus do? He made it possible. For us to find our way back to God by opening up this way to eternal life. You see, our sins, our failures had separated us from God. None of us, none of us have lived a perfect life. All of us have turned our back on God and in, in our selfishness, we follow our own desires. Uh, Paul, who is an early church leader, wrote a lot of the New Testament in the Bible. He put it this way. He said, for all of us have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. Meaning, no matter how hard we tried to be good, and let's face it, some of us didn't try very hard, we fell short. But here's what Jesus did. He could not stand the thought of you and I living apart from God, a life apart from God. So he came after us. Think of it like this. Um, If we are over on the left side of this ravine and, 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 and God with eternal life is over on the right side, every other religion is an expression of our attempt to get to God. We attempt to keep the rules to get to God. We try to eliminate desire to get to the other side. We try to live a good moral life to get over there. All of our attempts though, it says they come up short. All right, Jesus Looked at this chasm and he said, I will come to you. Jesus came to earth, lived among us, showed us what God is like because he he is God. He said that about himself. And when the religious leaders saw him as a threat to to their power, he came face to face with all of the ugliness, all the rebellion of the human heart. He was sentenced to die. Willingly laid down his life, dying on a cross. Our sin cost Jesus his life, and yet he was not defeated. Rose from the dead, proving he has power over sin and death itself, and now offers the gift of eternal life to anyone who would receive it. Paul again says it this way For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you say that phrase with me, free gift? Let's say it together, free gift. When we accept what Jesus has done for us, we are forgiven and we receive eternal life as a free gift. Now, I don't know what you feel when you hear that expression, free gift. I know for me, I think, uh uh-oh, I don't believe that. There's gotta be a catch. We we are deeply suspicious of anyone who wants to give you a free gift, probably for good reason. When you get an email from a Nigerian prince offering you all their money, you know something's not right, don't you? And so we're suspicious of a free gift. We think there's got to be a catch. There's not a catch. It's free. Jesus offers eternal life to anyone who would put their faith in him, and, and, and you see, that's what makes the Christianity message so unique. Every other religion says it is about doing. Eternal life is reserved for those who would work hard enough. You obey enough, you do enough. Those are the ones who will reach God. But Christianity says that it's about what Jesus has done. Christianity is kind of like a first-class ticket that you didn't pay for. Jesus already paid the fare. No matter who you are, rich or poor, black or white, male or female, regardless of where you live, regardless of what degrees hang on your wall, Jesus came for you. And Crosswinds, I need to tell you, when Jesus said, I am the way, it was days before he died. And what what he was saying was, I will make a way. Every religion says, this is the way. We know the way, our way is the right way. Work enough that you prove you're worthy to get a seat in first class. And do you know what that leaves you with? Never knowing if you've worked hard enough. You never know, never being sure if you earned your way. Okay, Jesus said, I'm gonna do something that allows you to leave all of that striving that you've been doing your whole life. You're striving to make a way I'm gonna do something that allows you to leave that behind. I will be the way through my work on the cross. Is Christianity narrow? Yes, of course it is, all religions are. It's narrow. The real question, is it too narrow? It's for anyone who has realized that they cannot make their own way. What that makes it, I think what it makes it, radically inclusive. The invitation of Jesus is the most radically inclusive invitation that has ever been given. The doors are wide open. Entry is not based on your qualifications. You can come exactly as you are. It's not about what you have. It's not about what you've achieved. It is about what's been done for you by Jesus on the cross. And when you put your faith in Jesus and what he said and what he's done, you can begin to experience that life that he came to bring right now. You see, eternal life is not something that's just reserved for you after you die. Eternal life is meant to be a kind of life we live right now and then forever in a close, personal relationship with God. I have come for you, Jesus says. You can find your way back to God through me. There's this famous story about finding your way back to God that was recorded by one of the disciples, Luke, in this book that he wrote about Jesus' life. It's often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know it. My guess is some of you are familiar with the story, but you may not actually know there's a Buddhist version of this story. Uh, In both versions, there's a father who has a son And the son leaves home to go chase after his own desires. And he lives wildly and he blows through a pile of cash in the process. And eventually the son runs out of money, hits rock bottom, decides to return to the house of his father. In the Buddhist version of this story, the son stumbles into his father's house and he is welcomed back, but is the lowest of his dad's employees. His job, well, he's assigned to shovel excrement, which he does for 20 long years. For 20 years, he shovels feces until he's finally accepted back into his father's good graces. All right, Jesus' version of the story, much different. In Jesus' story, when the father sees the sun approaching on the horizon, what does the father do? He takes off running. I'll come to you, the father says. And when he reaches his son, he embraces him and he kisses him. And when the son offers to work his way back into his father's good graces, the father says, that's ridiculous. You are my son. I love you. We're throwing a party. Okay, one story is about doing what you can do for God to make him love you again. The other story is about done, that he loved you enough, he did it for you. What God has done for you already. Jesus did it all, everything required for all people to find their way back to God, everyone. And because of that, every single person in this world can know God and live an eternal kind of life now and forever, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Is Christianity too narrow for the world today? Not at all. It is exactly what the world needs. The message of Jesus goes far beyond the idea of, let's tolerate each other. It goes all the way to radical inclusion. Everyone is invited. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to meet requirements. You don't have to do enough to get in. Jesus invites people to find their way back to God. All people all people by accepting what he has already done. He is the God who runs to you, embraces you, kisses you, and welcomes you back to where you always belong.